This is Second Down on ESPN Radio. Christian Gokel alongside PJ Zuko. Glad to have you hanging out with us here on this Tuesday afternoon, just a couple of days away from the NFL draft. Jacksonville with that number one overall pick, seemed like for a long time, was kind of sewn up, and then everybody was doing the mock drafts from there. The last couple days have flipped it on its head, as now Georgia's Trevon Walker is the odds-on favorite. Now, I spent a lot of time yesterday chastising folks for mislabeling Trevon Walker. And I just think it's the reality of the situation now is people don't know how to differentiate these position groups and in their minds have labeled Trevon Walker or lumped him in the group with the Aiden Hutchinsons and with the Kayvon Thibodeaux uh, they're from Oregon, right? They, they've labeled him as an edge rusher. And I just, I think that's a disservice, but it is what it is. People are going to keep saying that about him. But I did come across uh, from some interesting stats on Twitter. Austin Gale uh, on Twitter put it out there and he said, if you're looking at Trevon Walker compared to some of these other guys, and you're looking at him as an edge and then trying to compare his production that isn't fair just based off of snaps. If you look at Aiden Hutchinson in his career at Michigan, had about 1,600 snaps at an edge rushing position. If you look at a Kayvon Thibodeau, had over 1,300 snaps at an edge rushing position. And if you look at Trevon Walker, had a little less than 600. <laughs> the man is a defensive lineman. Mm -hmm. The guy lines up on the inside of a defensive ends a lot. Again, whatever you want to call these positions, because apparently it doesn't matter anymore. What I used to think it was, was you going from the outside in, you had nose tackles, defensive tackles, defensive ends, and then your outside linebacker edge rushers, right? That's what I used to think. Or if you're in a 4-3, you have your strong side defensive end, a couple of defensive tackles, and then you have your defensive end slash outside linebacker, right? Your pass rusher. People just want to put Trevon Walker on the outside. The reality of the situation to me is this. Trent Baalke, the general manager for the Jacksonville Jaguars, sees that he has an all-pro type of player on one side of his defense in Josh Allen. Former SEC sack leader, uh, had over 10.5 sacks, or had, right at 10.5 sacks, uh, his rookie year in the NFL, pretty elite edge rusher, right? What he's looking at is he needs somebody on the other side of him, and I think the reason why Trevon Walker has become such or just a meteoric rise is people are starting to listen to what is being said in the front offices more than projecting off of their own evaluation of these players. If you think Trevon Walker is like the 25th best player in college football, I, I don't know what to tell you because obviously a lot of GMs disagree with you. If he's a top five player, he can go number one. I think at that point it just becomes a situational need thing, right? Where you're looking at these teams and there's no player in this draft where you're just like, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. Right? There's yeah. no Jadavian Clowney. There's no Miles Garrett. Uh, there's no Trevor Lawrence where you're just like, yep, yeah, yeah, that's him. He's he's the number one overall pick. A lot of times those offensive linemen, right? Where you're like, yeah, that guy's that good. Right. Right, where he's he's shut it down. That's your number one overall pick. He's going to be your left tackle for the next 15 years. Even though I do think there's like two or three guys in this class where that's the case, there's just, there's no, there's a bunch of 
A minus to B plus level talent, there's no like A plus can't miss. Yeah. Even the guy a lot of people thought was that guy in Aiden Hutchinson, he's got a lot of big question marks around him. Like he disappeared in a lot of games. Mm -hmm. I know I've said this ad nauseum, but nine and a half of his sacks came in three games this year. Exactly. So everyone keeps pointing at his productivity and he was extremely productive in three out of 14 games. Right. Right. And I think NFL teams are looking for a little bit more than that. And again, I think it's extremely situational. If Detroit had the number one overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson is going to Detroit. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. I think Jacksonville, the reason they're talking about Trevon Walker is a fit thing. They have their edge rusher in Josh Allen. Yeah. Right? And with the defense that they want to play, they need somebody on the other side that can stand it, stand up that tackle and set that edge. And I don't think there's a better player in this class to do that than Trevon Walker. 6'5", 275 pounds, can probably bulk up a little bit if they wanted him to because he carries 275 very well. I don't know if a lot of people remember this, but his freshman year at Georgia at 6'5", 280 pounds, he was on kickoff coverage. <laughs> right. Like running, he, yeah. full, like that's horrifying. He's, he has the athleticism for it, right? I mean, you shared a couple of videos or a video yesterday of him yeah. tracking down. Um, yeah, IG Hall, yeah. yeah. There you go, yeah. yeah. Uh, but tracking down a, a insanely speedy wide receiver in in the uh, national championship game. So, uh, no no big surprise there. I I do like. I'm a little surprised this didn't happen sooner, with because like you said, that's a very good point. That they're starting to go off what they actually hear from the teams and the GMs and everything like that instead yeah. of just their own projection. I feel like for the longest time, it was just kind of like formulaic. Right? It was just like, okay, we got to put this mock draft together. Like you said, there, it's a bunch of A, a to B-plus players in, in this draft, and it's like by default, Aiden Hutchinson got chosen as the one. All right, he's going number one, and we'll go with everybody else. And I just kept looking at it like, why is it just understood or just put together, okay, by default, this guy's going number one. Yeah. It's because he's an edge rusher and because he has well, like, he has some stats and came on big later in the year. But again, it was like, okay, when is this trend going to stop? Because I've never really felt like, yeah, he's the one. He is by, by far the best player in the draft, and he's definitely going to go number one. It just felt like for two or three months that it was – okay, yeah, we'll put him in number one and we'll figure out the rest and we'll figure that out later, basically. And I think we're in the figuring that out later part yeah. of, of the year and of the draft process where it's, okay, now we have more information and we actually know what these guys are thinking so we can now actually put out the mock drafts that, that are based on what we've learned instead of just like putting it together, instead of just throwing it together and saying, all right, well, defensive end... You know, people that everyone's the person that everyone's talking about, or most people are talking about. Let's just throw them up at number one, yeah, and figure it out later. And I, and I don't think it's just, I don't think it's just the quarterbacks in this class, like which I wouldn't be surprised if a quarterback's not taken inside the top ten. Because again, yeah. with these mock drafts, you're going to talk yourself into, oh, somebody's going to trade up. Who are you trading up for? Like, right. like Malik Willis, I think in any other draft is a late first, second round pick. Right and, and think about that. Like Lamar Jackson was late first round. Right. Lamar Jackson. Correct. And Malik Willis. I'm not saying anything bad about Malik Willis, but like in college, he wasn't Lamar Jackson. So, I don't think it's saying anything bad, right? I think it's just being completely honest about it. Yeah. And again, there's like look at the wide receivers, right? 
nobody in this class is better than Jamar Chase. And so you look at all of these different position groups, and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of depth in this, right? It's not all about the stars at the top, right? There's a bunch of depth that can be had in this, and that's why I number one, I don't think there's gonna be a lot of trades. If you want a wide receiver, you can wait and you're gonna you're gonna land on a wide receiver. Just think about the number of dudes who are gonna be good, impactful NFL players that I don't think there's a ton of separation between, right? I don't think there's a ton of separation between a Garrett Wilson uh and a George Pickens or a John Mechie or a Jamison Williams, right? I don't think there's a ton of separation between Chris Olave and any of those guys, but there can be, if we're being honest, like I've seen Garrett Wilson going to the Falcons, right? Can you honestly sit there and tell me that Drake London is a head and shoulders above a Jamison Williams? Where really the concern you have for Jamison Williams is getting back from that ACL tear that he suffered in January, but the way ACLs go now it's more of a nine-month process than a 12-, 13-month process. So he could be back and contribute to your team this season, and you don't want to draft that high just based off of half a year of production, right? You want to take the better of the two prospects. So I'm just looking at this draft, and I see a ton of depth at a lot of positions. I just don't see a ton of superstars where you're like, man, this is a can't miss. I got to have them. I'm willing to leverage uh, my draft and maybe next year's draft to move up. I think the only trades we've really seen so far – uh, I think like the Patriots and the Texans are like swapping around like fifth and sixth round picks. And now there's some rumblings that maybe Darren Waller uh, is being targeted by the Packers. And obviously that would include uh, some draft picks there. So there, there's still some moving parts, but I do think this is going to be a pretty vanilla NFL draft is the best way I can put it. And that's why I think you see a guy like Trevon Walker, who probably in years past, yeah, if there's a Joe Burrow, if there's a Trevor Lawrence at the top of the draft, Trevon Walker's not going number one, right? Somebody is trading with the Jacksonville Jaguars to try to get up to that number one overall pick if there's a quarterback like that, but there's not. And so the Jaguars are sitting there. Not a lot of people are really worried about jumping up to grab that number one overall pick because think about it. If you take an offensive tackle, then uh, say you take an Evan Neal. A lot of people have a Quanu out of NC State ranked just as high or higher than Evan Neal right there, or Charles Cross out of Mississippi State ranked just as high as Evan Neal, right? So why would you trade up if there's three guys that you would take at that position? Uh, You look at wide receiver, right? No wide receiver is going to go number one overall out of this class. Uh, Look at the defensive ends, right? Aiden Hutchinson with his production, but then a lot of people still like what Kayvon Thibodeau did. Trevon Walker has shot up. So there's three guys. Why would you leverage your draft class to get up to number one to pick a guy that you have two other guys reasonably within the same distance or the same grade as him. So there's not going to be a lot of movement. And so the Jaguars, I think what they're looking at is who's going to best fit on this defense. We already have Josh Allen, who is a phenomenal pro bowl level edge rusher. We need somebody on the other side of him. So that's why I think Trevon Walker is probably going to end up being the guy. And then, yeah, Detroit's going to be super happy. Thank you, the hometown guy. Uh, there in Aiden Hutchinson uh, at the number two overall pick. But I, I, every, I keep seeing all these labels, like here's why it would be a dramatic mistake. And then they go back to production from Trevon Walker. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. I'm just trying to clear up misconceptions. The dude was not lining up right with just a foot in the ground, both hands free, kind of leaning over like a Von Miller for a majority of his career. He did have some snaps like that, but a majority of those came after the Adam Anderson suspension and some other injuries to Georgia's outside linebackers, right? Really, for the most part, you were seeing guys like Robert Bill and Nolan Smith as the stand-up 
outside linebackers for Georgia, and then Trevon Walker with his hand in the dirt, either over the center or over a tackle, right? He is a true defensive lineman. You can put him wherever you need him, and then if the Jags get him, they could probably put some weight on that frame because the dude's a basketball player, right? We talked about his time at at Upson Lee there uh, and winning all kinds of state championships. I think they won over 60 consecutive games uh, while he was a high school basketball player, so the dude's an athlete and could probably stand to put some weight on that frame. He ran a 4.51 at 275 pounds, right? You pack on 10, 15 more pounds, He's probably still running in the four sixes, and you have a 290-pound defensive lineman who's running four six and has arms that are as long as his legs and can get inside the chest of an offensive lineman and throw him away. There's a couple of plays from the national championship where he really best way I can put it to the casual football fans is when you run stunts on a defensive line where you're trying to generate a pass rush, one of the guys is basically the fullback, where it's his job to get into the chest of a couple of the offensive linemen and clear up an alley. For a guy who's coming around, wrapping around from the inside. If you watch the Falcons, they do this with Grady Jarrett a lot, where they'll have the defensive end crash down and just try to wedge off the offensive line. And then Grady Jarrett, because of how fast he is, kind of shoots his hand underneath and just basically bends around the line to create some pressure. Travall Walker can do that. And he can also stand up and play that edge rusher if you need him to. He can play any of those spots. Aiden Hutchinson ain't lining up a nose tackle. So that's that's kind of where I think the Jaguars are at right now. But again, uh, they could still take an offensive lineman for all we know. That's the reason why we watch. Uh, also, if you think I'm wrong and you think you are just the draft guru, you know what's going to happen in this draft. We encourage you to come hang out with us on Thursday at Coach's Corner. We'll be there starting at 2 o'clock, going all the way through the first round at Coach's Corner. Come on in. We're going to have sheets for you to fill out for the draft. Top 10 picks. 1 through 10, fill out who you think is going to be drafted where, and if you get the most correct, I want you to listen very carefully. John Henderson and the folks at Coach's Corner got a 70-inch flat-screen TV for you. That's correct. A 70-inch flat-screen TV for the person who gets the most picks out of the top 10 correct there at Coach's Corner. Limit one entry per person. But again, myself, Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, going to be hanging out at Coach's Corner on Thursday. Come in, fill it out before the first round starts, and hang out with us uh, and watch those top 10 picks. See if you are going to be walking away with a 70-inch flat-screen TV courtesy of our friends there at Coach's Corner. That coming up on Thursday. Come hang out with us there. we got to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Bill Conley put out a preview for the Sun Belt. It's not looking good. For Georgia Southern, we're going to dive into their schedule and why maybe this could be a tough, bumpy first year for head coach Clay Helton next, right here on ESPN Radio. Second down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source, Christian Gokel. Glad to have you hanging out with us here on this Tuesday afternoon. We just got done with a spring game there at Georgia Southern. You know, 700 yards of total offense there for the Eagles on Saturday. But some big questions remain. What is this defense going to look like, right? That was one of the things we talked to Lindsey Goff from WTOC about yesterday was Clay Helton not necessarily concerned about that offense, but concerned about what the defense is going to look like. What's the identity? Because a complete revamp on that side of the football as well. And then I think the biggest thing, uh, storylines going into 2022, number one, you are in your same division, right? Sunbelt East, but you got a whole lot 
of new additions coming in this year. Of course, App State remains, but you also add Marshall, James Madison, and Old Dominion to a division that includes Coastal Carolina and Georgia State. So a ton of really good football coming up. Coastal Carolina uh, has become nationally relevant, uh, consistently inside the top 25. They have their quarterback coming back this year. And then App State is App State. And then I'd say even in the state of Georgia, uh, you're probably playing second fiddle right now to the folks up in Atlanta. So a really tough year coming up for Georgia Southern. And just looking at the schedule, right? You start with Morgan State at home and you hope you can check that off as a win. But then you have two consecutive road games against really good football programs. You have to go out to Nebraska, which I know Nebraska's kind of been a running joke the last few years under Scott Frost, where, you know, he was supposed to come home, be the the savior of the program, and they've just kind of been stuck in neutral uh, out there, especially at the quarterback position. But if you go back and look at Nebraska from last year, they were one-score games, just a few one-score games away from potentially being a 10-win team. Right, So Nebraska, a good football team, and, and they've made some upgrades there, uh, especially at the quarterback position. So Nebraska is going to be a really tough one there in Lincoln. And then the very next week, you have to head out to Birmingham to take on a really good UAB squad. So two really good teams to start off with. Then you come home and you play a good Ball State team, but a team that you should beat. So I think like dream scenario, you're 3-1. and one. At that point, and if you're three and one, then you can really start to lock in and try to look at the bowl game. But I think realistically, Georgia Southern's looking at two and two through those first four games, and then it is just a just diving into the deep end of Sun Belt play. You head up to Conway to take on Coastal Carolina on October first. Then the very next week, you have a road trip up to Atlanta. So five weeks, one game at home. That's a pretty nasty stretch there for Georgia Southern. And Georgia State's going to be good. Coastal Carolina is going to be really good again as well. Then you come home and you're playing James Madison. And then you flip right around and you head to Norfolk, Virginia uh, for your first trip up there to Old Dominion uh, as a member of the Sun Belt. Come home, taking on South Alabama. And then you got to hit the road. And this is where that kind of the crossover hurts you. Your crossover, Louisiana. Where if Coastal Carolina ain't the best team in the Sun Belt, Louisiana is surely going to be. Uh, even though Billy Napier has moved on, uh, those those players are still there. And Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, are going to be a good football team. Then you come home uh, to wrap up the season with two games against Marshall. And then you take on App State uh, to finish off the season. So, again, realistically, six wins is going to be a stretch for Georgia Southern in 2022. And, again, I hope I'm wrong. If you can... Take out, take care of Morgan State. Take care of business against Ball State, and then if you could, if you could get that Georgia State win, that that that'd be big time. But maybe take care of James Madison at Old Dominion. That puts you at four, and then you'd have to win two out of four from South Alabama, Louisiana, Marshall, and App State. That that that's going to be tough for Georgia Southern in twenty twenty two. But that being said, I do think this is a really cool division and a lot of new additions in it really kind of shaping the narrative uh, of college football. But Bill Conley put out his 2022 projections there on ESPN.com. And he has app state ranked as the best team in the Sunbelt East. And he gives them a 96% chance to make a bowl game based off their schedule uh, followed up there by actually Marshall 
uh, as the number two team there in the Sun Belt East with a 96% chance to make a bowl game. Uh, believes that they'll be battling it out with App State for the top of this division. Coastal Carolina, they're losing some talent, but again, have a really good quarterback coming back and Grayson McCall uh, that's going to lead that team. So it's it's going to be a fun division, but Georgia Southern fans, I'd say be patient. We know I know we talked about it yesterday, but the best thing I can tell you, be patient. It's, it's going to come with Clay Helton and this team, right? He came here. He kind of took a, I shouldn't say kind of, he did take a reduced, a reduced salary, still living off that buyout there from USC, but instead of paying all that money to him, he wanted it spread out so you can start developing facilities. You can get some recruiting coordinators in here uh, that are going to try to up the recruiting base, which I think has already happened uh, in Statesboro. You're pulling in four-star running backs, right? And then spending it on a coaching staff, but again, it's going to take a little while to get the players you want in there and to develop them. And I know we talked yesterday about this is relatively similar, not completely similar to what happened up at Georgia Tech uh, when they moved on from Paul Johnson, right? But you are still going from an option attack offense to an up-tempo, throwing the football around 60-70% of the time kind of an offense. And it's not just with wide receivers and quarterbacks, right? You're recruiting different kind of offensive linemen. It's going to take a minute to get this team trucking. And I, I do think with the talent they have on the team, with the coaching staff, and with the style they run, they're going to beat somebody they're not supposed to. And I think that's what it's going to take if you have any sort of hope for a postseason there in Statesboro. But I think it's going to head in the right direction. I think more so than anything, it's not going to look like it did last year where there was just there wasn't a whole lot of fight in the team uh, after the first few weeks in the season, right? So I think it's going to be a fun team to watch. I think there's got a lot of really talented players on it, but also just kind of in a brutal division there. Probably the best, I think as Bill Conley put it, the best G5 division. Right? Basically the SEC West of the G5 is what Georgia Southern's having to deal with with a first-year coach there, uh, some new coordinators, and again, he is a six-year senior, uh, but also a new quarterback there as well in Vantry. So, Whole lot of moving parts there at Georgia Southern, but I do think an exciting year coming up in 2022. We got Braves baseball coming up for you a little bit later. They start a three-game set with the Chicago Cubs uh, and some breaking news coming out a little bit earlier about one of the key contributors for the Braves uh, going to be out for a little while. We'll break it all down next when we come back right here on Second Down on ESPN Radio. Second Down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Christian Gokel alongside PJ Zuko. Glad to have you here with us on ESPN Radio. We have an awesome pitching matchup coming up for you a little bit later this evening as the Braves host the Chicago Cubs. Marcus Stroman. Braves fans, very familiar with him during his time with the New York Mets. He'll be on the mound for the Cubs tonight going up against Max Freed, who seems to have gotten things together. Bat, best outing of the year last time out. And Marcus Stroman, hopefully we can keep his season going for him a little bit. 0-2 uh, with over an 8 ERA right now. So Braves coming off of a bye. Actually, that's my football terms. Off day. I bye guess day. Bye day. Yeah. Just thinking of football terms. An off day yesterday taking on Marcus Stroman there. And the Chicago Cubs. Cubs 7-9 entering this one. The Braves 7-10. But of some concern for the Atlanta Braves... Uh, last year's postseason hero, no, not Jorge Soler, the other one, Eddie Rosario, the one that you re-signed 
to a two-year, $18 million deal. He has been pretty bad so far this season, uh, less than 100 batting average, mm. right? Last time out, 0 for 2 uh, once he came in to the game, and apparently there was a reasoning behind it. He's going to have to have laser correction surgery for blurred vision Wow! in one of his eyes. Atlanta Braves outfielder Eddie Rosario saw a retinal specialist on Monday and will undergo a laser procedure in the coming days to correct blurred vision and swelling in his right eye, the team announced. So, the fact that he was hitting 068 with three hits and 44 at-bats, no RBIs and 10 strikeouts, hopefully that's the issue. Well, that's a lot, man. Can you imagine trying to bat like that? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's tough. <laughs> Literally batting with one eye closed. <laughs> yeah, hitting a baseball that's coming, you know, 95, 100 miles an hour at you anyway. Right. Or, you know, 85, 90 miles an hour with some movement. Like, goodness gracious. That's, that's hard enough as it is. Now, there is some hope on the horizon. Ronald Acuna is continuing his rehab stint with the Gwinnett Stripers. He's yeah. four games into it. Uh, he's been batting 417 during his time down there with Gwinnett. Down there, up there, like it's. He's been in Jacksonville playing, so down. So that's down there, down yeah. there. But I guess over there would be a better term. For where? Uh, everything's up there from here, except Jacksonville, except which is down Jacksonville, there. Yeah. But if we're talking like in relative terms to the Braves, yeah, it'd be over there. Does it bother you as as much as it does me? Like I talk a lot, I, I talk to a lot of people from the north, and they're always like, "Well, you're up there in Georgia," and I'm like, "Stop yeah, saying no, that! What? Don't no, stop! Stop! Gross. It. Don't do yeah. that!" Yeah, or like, "I can't wait till you come down here." I'm like, "I'm not going down anywhere. If I, if I'm going farther away from the north. If I go down anywhere, anyway." But no, you're right. Yeah, no. A- and thankfully, hitting over 400 is better than 068. So, well, you know, it's a triple A batting. You know, that's okay. Right? I mean, it's... Here, I I kind of agree with you though. Last thing you want is to rush a guy like Acuna back, but like yeah. you said, it's a little bit different than other sports where it's there's no contact really that they're having to deal with. True. And if you can play center field in AAA, you can play center field in the majors. Yeah. It's not like there's like a steeper gradient or like a different playing surface. Yeah. Still baseball. No, for sure. I, I think with me it's just more like it, it if he's going 100%, Every night in AAA, you're exactly right, you know. But but if there was still you know a, a little bit of a hesitation, if he wasn't playing every night, if uh, he was at you know 75, 80 uh, percent production wise or something like that, that's when it, you know it's it's it looks tempting when you're seven and ten to bring him up if he's playing well but isn't going a hundred percent right. But if he's at a hundred percent already, I completely agree with you. Um, that's mainly what I mean. Like, it, like you said, there's there's no contact, or there's a minimal amount of contact. If there is any, it's it's out, you know, of the norm, um, and and everything like that. So yeah, no, I'm I'm 100% with you there. So if I have to imagine, what we're going to see is probably Marcel still DHing. I guess kind of what we saw a couple of days ago, Marcel DHing. Uh, Orlando Arcia playing left field and Guillermo Heredia or yeah, Guillermo Heredia and then playing center and then Adam Duvall probably playing right. I guess you could swap those guys. Adam Duvall's played some center field as well, but Arcia, Heredia, and Duvall playing the outfield with Azuna DHing. If I had to imagine, 
Or if you wanted a different bat in there and you don't want Arcia and Heredia in there, Dickerson, I guess, could DH, and he, he had a home run a couple of games back. He could DH, and, and then you can put a zoom out there, but then that defense is getting real interesting. Yeah. Nice beer league softball defense out there. Yeah. I mean, a lot that's, of loafing. That's the thing, right? Is he can go out there and and you know make you know make solid baseball plays, but you're just in for one. I would bank on one to one and a half. Yeah, you know, I'd put the over under at one and a half, kind of bonehead type of type of plays. You know, it's like back when you know at the end, when not even at the end, a long time through. You know, it was just Manny being Manny out there, yeah. just that every now and then, just something crazy would happen. He'd make a spectacular play. But uh, then there would just be some bonehead thing going on. Like, it's kind of like that, just without the spectacular plays. Ozuna in the outfield will make the plays you would expect an outfielder to make. And then all of a sudden, just like a ball will land right next to him. We'll be like, what? What's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's rough. And it's like, it's not even like the ones where, like, God, that was terrible. It's just more like, no one is afraid to run on Marcel Ozuna. Yeah. Like, I don't do ball yeah. ain't bad, but like, no one is afraid to run. On Marcel Azuna, if there's like a thought, you're like you're, you're heading to second, you're like I could probably stretch it to third. Like, oh, it's Azuna, yeah, I'm stretching it to third. I'm, go- I'm going. That's yeah, that's you kinda, don't even have to have the thought. Yeah, that's kind of where that's at. But that being said, seven twenty first pitch, Max Fried, Marcus Stroman. We'll let you know uh, in the next few minutes if they drop the lineup. What we're seeing, but again, if I had to imagine, probably a combination of Marcel Azuna, Orlando Arcia, Guillermo Heredia, and Adam Duvall. And then you know if Austin Riley can keep raking. Matt Olson's been unbelievable so far this year. Just get uh, Ozzy Alves keep doing what he's doing, and if Dansby can, uh, I hope he doesn't have swelling his right eye. Well, that's been rough. <laughs> well, it's one thing. It's like it, at least now there's a reason. Or do you kind of hope there is so that there's a, well, a no, reason so this, at it's least? Been, it, it makes sense, right, that something is wrong with Eddie Rosario. And like because, really wrong. Well, yeah. yeah, because I know everyone pointed to, like, do you want to sign him off of one great postseason? And he was unbelievable in the postseason. I think he hit like 357 in the postseason. He hit over 500 in the NLCS, but he hit over 350 in the postseason, bunch of extra base hits, had three home runs in the NLCS. So, like, he was one of the heroes of the postseason. But before that, he was still batting 257 uh, in his time or before he got to the Braves last year, so he wasn't batting 0-68. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He had some pop to him. So, I mean, there was obviously something wrong, so hopefully you can get him back. And then in the future, potentially you're looking at Marcelo Zuna, DHing, Ronald Cunha in center field, Eddie Rosario in left field, and Adam Duvall in right field, and that's just a whole different story. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just strong. Braves kind of just trying to tread water right now until number 13 gets back. Yeah. Because I tell you, you got Ozzy Albies, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Adam Duvall, and Ronald Acuna Jr. in the same lineup. Oh, it's yeah. Pr- it's pretty damn good. Man, uh, that, that's getting back to the the lineup you mentioned to me a couple weeks ago. That is just yeah. like, man, I don't I don't see a hole in here at all. But um, no, man, it's no, all Dansby's, about getting back. Dansby right now is kind of creating one, but hopefully it's just a slow start for old Mr. Swanson. Let's yeah. take a quick break. We'll come back right here on second down. PJ, we had a... Uh, we had a listener write in and say, hey, you should have saved your Trevon Walker dissertation for today because today is National Dissertation Day. That's actually a really good point. I don't that appreciate very that. Interesting. I don't think it was a dissertation. I think it was a clarification. Oh, well, I mean. I appreciate him writing in. But let me look up what dissertation means real quick. 
basically, if me, I'm trying, uh, if I'm trying to get my doctorates there, I have to write that. I have to write out my old dissertation and submit that to be approved before oh, I can okay. graduate. Yeah. Right. So like, okay. I would do my dissertation on why everyone is wrong about Trevon Walker. Yeah, I know what you mean there. Sorry, that was a very BJ word. I, 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 I feel like BJ. Yeah, you, you and BJ like know what that is off the top of your head. I. Words mean things, PJ. I mean, they certainly do. I just don't use dissertation a lot. I don't think a lot of people use dissertation a lot. So I feel like if you polled, like, you know, 15 people, probably like 12 of them wouldn't really be confident on what that means. I feel like they would have an idea, but they wouldn't know exactly. I don't know that that's true. Come on now. I don't know. You think? I think there might be like you and one other guy. Okay. And he's yep. definitely wearing number which, three hat. Which, uh, all right, what is that supposed to mean? Which, like, again, I'm not saying they don't completely know what it means. Like me, I, I had an idea of what it was, but I wasn't confident in what it was. Do you ha- do you and have, I didn't know you, the ins you, and outs of Do you have the Webster's Dictionary the, right there, the d- definition? The doctor, philosophy, whatever you said. I don't think it's a philosophy. Uh, yeah, I did look it up. All right, and it, it. Okay, it. A long essay on a particular subject. Which is basically that that is kind that of was what I meant. first segment. It's yeah. the it's the second part, which I can I think kind of clarifies what this exact word means and which is what you dove into, especially one written as a requirement for the doctor of philosophy. So, like, I knew that first part. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the second part. Right. Well, I, or I wasn't confident in the second part. I think you were like, are you so, dissing me? Right no, now? not at all. Good God. Are you dissing me? No. It, no. When someone says dissertation, I meant so like, okay, in my head, I was like a, a long explanation of something where you're trying to prove someone else wrong or not even prove someone else wrong. Like, but, but you're... You're trying to prove your point. Yeah, 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 exactly. I didn't know about the doctor of philosophy part and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I, that did not come up in my mind when I heard dissertation. So, yeah, you don't feel like just the common people are you trying to call the common people dumb or no. ill-informed what why is it dumb Lindsay did that yesterday she called she said college people or college kids weren't real people let's knock this out of the park right why is it dumb if you simply like well, like a word like dissertation you know the general Wait, idea why do you want to knock this out of the park whatever do you want to put like we were talking you, about baseball you want to squash this yeah yeah, yeah like sure because words mean things yeah, I thought like knocking out of the apartment, like you, like you were, like you were doubling down. Like, you were like, let's, let's let's show I'm right. That's what I mean. But like, why people do this all the time, right? Like, I don't know. Do you dis- know? What, like, do you know what like an a essay- word like like a word like dissertation, right? Like you know the general idea of what the word means, but just because you don't know the inner workings and like everything about the word, and and, and the, like the last part of that definition, just because you don't know that part, you're. You're ignorant or you're you're dumb. I whatever. didn't say ignorant or dumb. I mean, you started you started going that way, man. I just I just <laughs> think the I give the general public more credit than you do. Probably, I am very skeptical. Yeah, I'm optimistic about a lot of things. I'm optimistic about like situations and stuff, but when it comes to just kind of people, I can be very skeptical without a doubt, even about myself, uh, for sure. You're gonna do a dissertation about finding out what dissertation means. I hope not. And why? No, you should do a dissertation about why the average person doesn't actually know what dissertation means. 
I think they know mostly what it means. I don't think the last part would come to their, their All right, mind. Well, now we have to go out on the street and ask people if they know what dissertation means. Yeah, for sure. And see if they, they have... You said a group of 15 people? Yeah, I think that's that'd your, be good. That's your subject group? Yeah. And you said 12, 12. of them wouldn't. That's a very odd fraction. But, uh, but you said 12 of them 12 wouldn't. 12 of 15. And then three of them have their doctorates in philosophy. So like four-fifths. Yeah, right. see, that's quick math. See, I'm not dumb. Well, anything beats fifth third. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that one. I'll leave that one alone. So, again, I, I don't... I guess yesterday was kind of was a dissertation. It was more of a argument. And I, I think argument has a very negative connotation. Now, yeah. I think anybody here in this station, probably to my detriment or their detriment, and their, their just mental health, knows I like to argue. But, like, I don't do it in a terms of, like, I want anger no, and yeah, yeah. vitriol i like to have conversations and i like point counterpoint well see i think that's more of the you like to argue but you you like what i would call like com, combative but not in a bad way combative? like no, no like not in a bad way now like there's combat like, like back and forth yeah there's back and forth all the time but there's but back you and learn, forth in but, ping pong that you, doesn't mean it's combative but you learn something from it all the time like someone's learning something like you, you no know, i think of it more like catch you're just that's tossing really, it back and way, forth. Yeah. There's nothing combative about a nice, friendly game of can catch. Can be, man. Right? You're just violently throwing it at it? No, not like violently, no, you, but like you I, start, you start, one guy starts throwing a little bit harder, and then you feel like you have to. Like, yeah. No, you know you're winning an so argument when the other person gets loud. conversations here all the time. You know, you know you're winning the argument when the other person gets loud. Yeah. Because no, the other absolutely. person starts yelling and they get emotional. You know you're winning the argument. Even if you're wrong. To a certain extent. Even if you're wrong. You're winning the argument if they if you let emotions get into it, you're winning it. What? See, this is the difference, I guess, is like I I don't have arguments to win arguments. I'm I'd rather just, you know, try and learn something from what the other person well, is yeah, trying to but say. As soon as the other person and hopefully the other person is. But as soon as the other person gets, em- the the other person gets emotional or you can see the the crack in their armor, then you just gotta go for the kill. Why do you have to go for a kill? It's That's combative. It's Christian, <laughs> you're proving my point. Not all of our conversations go like that. I'm mostly just referring to Kevin. <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes sense. I try. Kevin does like to say wild things, and then when you try to get him to, then when you try to get him to like expunge on the situation. Yeah. You know. I know what you mean. Or if you another ex, if you try to get him to even expand <laughs> on the situation, he gets he just gets mad. I only have like kind of hit you with a. Yeah, I only have conversations with like certain certain people, like conversations like that with certain people. Because I, my like pet peeve is like everyone tries to start talking before you're done talking. That happens to PJ a lot. Well, no, it's we, not. We even, literally call it getting PJ'd. It's like yeah, they're, they're trying to like I'm halfway through my point and it's like they start answering or like going off that and I'm like I'm not even done with my point. How do you know what to argue? Anyway, we're probably no, about we to know, be out here. We don't, in a act, we don't actually <laughs> listen. We're just formulating our next response in our head. Before you finish talking, and then we don't absorb anything you say. Exactly. And then we just respond. It's like, how do you Such know? is the way of life here at ESPN <laughs> Coastal. The guys for three and out with the day off, they will be back tomorrow.